Welcome to the ElfQuest Show, the internet's only fan-made podcast series dedicated to the long-running, award-winning, epic fantasy series ElfQuest, created by Wendy and Richard Peeney. I'm David Mizajewski, also known as Thornbreak on the ElfQuest forums. Joining me is my friend and fellow ElfQuest uber geek, Ryan Brown. Ryan's our editor and producer, working the magic to put this podcast together. This is part one of our discussion of issue 22. Welcome back, everybody, to the ElfQuest Show podcast. This is David, and I am I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, hey, Ryan. Hey, David. Hey, everybody. So um, I, we're kind of going to be doing something a little bit different because Ryan and I had a great reunion episode that we recorded after Ryan had been off on his travels and um, – and for issue 21 of Final Quest, and we had some kind of gremlin in the system and only his side recorded. So we are going to actually have to come back and re-record that. So this particular episode, we're going to dive right into the big, giant, crazy issue 22 of Final Quest. Um, and there's just so much to talk about because like, this yeah. is a major, major issue. Not just in the Final Quest series, but I think in the entire 40-year saga of ElfQuest. Yeah, I would say so. Um, yeah, that was pretty frustrating with our last recording that we made. Unfortunately, uh, like you mentioned, it was only the one side, one-sided conversation. I was just uh, talking to myself, it sounds like, when uh, <laughs> I listened back to it. But uh, it's too bad because it was a great conversation we had. But hopefully we can, um, uh, at some point in the next couple of months, uh, before issue 23 comes out, we can uh, record, re-record yeah uh, our our review of uh issue 21 yeah um, yeah and i think uh the release date for 23 is a week um after it would normally be scheduled because it would have come out around christmas time so it's being uh released a week later is that correct? Yeah. yeah yeah that's correct yeah it's basically um exactly like what you just said so for folks if you haven't gotten the word um initially uh, issue 23 of Final Quest was supposed to come out on like December 26th or 27th or sometime that week of Christmas and Dark Horse has just bumped it a week because of the holidays. So now it's coming out on January 3rd. So mark your calendars. Don't be disappointed that week right after uh, a couple days after Christmas if you don't see that new issue. But like you said, Ryan, that gives us another week to get the, the issue 21 episode re-recorded. So, um, you know, so hopefully guys keep your fingers crossed. We've double trip triple and quadruple tested this recording right now to make sure that it is actually recording so that we don't have to jump off a building but um <laughs> yeah all my fingers are so crossed right now they're starting to uh they're starting to hurt so yeah hopefully this is uh we've got it this time i hope exactly yeah well so you know um let, let's let's just dive into 22 because again there's a ton to talk about here and um in the interest of not having a four-hour podcast, I think we should start. <laughs> Definitely. All right. So where to begin? Well, um, I guess, I mean, there's some some big major things that happen. And, you know, broad brushstroke, um, you know, this is the issue where it all comes, you know, comes to a head with the, you know, the choice of 
you know, leaving the palace or staying in the world of two moons. So we actually see that happen. Mm-hmm. Major stuff there. There's major, um, you know, there's, there's character deaths, you know, and I'm yeah, assuming again, if folks, you guys are listening, you've read the issue, but I feel that, that, that we should probably at least give a spoiler warning, even though I can't imagine anybody would be listening without having read the issue. But um, we're going to talk about some pretty, you know, crazy stuff that happened. So if you don't want to hear it, if you haven't read it, stop listening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah. So, warned, you've been warned. Yeah. So we have um, major deaths. We have the, you know, the, the big, you know, fulfillment of this huge piece of the the story of the, the palace leaving and, you know, the fate of Cutter and Skywise and their friendship and, and Skywise and Tamane. And so just tons of stuff to talk about. So um, maybe we should just start at the beginning like we normally do. Okay, sure. So yeah. uh, our opening scene is at the um, uh, High Winds Holt. Uh, Skywise and Yoon arrive uh, and we see um, Corbasi and who do we have here? We've got well, uh, Du Bois is over in in, yeah, in Father's Tale. No, no, Du Bois is not here. Oh, du Bois no, is over. Not. Right, right. So we have uh, Tinge, Molly, and we get to learn finally the name of the other little orphan boy, um, the uh, the 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 one that just has been unnamed the whole time. And so his name is. Do you want to take a, a stab at a first, Ryan? Uh, Earlgan. <laughs> Earlgan, yeah, that's Earlgan? what I would say. Yeah. Earlgan, Earlgan, something like that. Um, we'll have to get a character profile update and get Richard to put a um, a pronunciation guide on it, and then we'll know for sure. But for right now, I, I you and I are in agreement, I think, probably for the first time ever, on the pronunciation of a name. <laughs> <laughs> finally, after yeah. all the, yeah, yeah. four years. Um, but, yeah. yeah, so I thought this was interesting because, mm-hmm. especially at this point in the story, you know, Counting this issue, there's only you know three issues of story left in Final Quest, and Highwind's Holt, you know, I have kind of assumed was just sort of going to be not really dealt with again. You know, like it was introduced back in the first story arc as this place where Ember's tribe found you know sort of um, uh, a refuge from from the War Men and Angriff Jun's warriors and all of that kind of stuff, and they made a Holt there and they lived there for you know a decade or so. And um, before the Wolf Riders all reunited. And so mm-hmm. I kind of was like, you know, it's kind of a it's an interesting place. And there was enough emphasis put on it when it was introduced that I was expecting them to do something with it. But then as the story marched on and we're getting closer and closer to the end and Wendy and Richard, by by necessity, and by good storytelling, are really honing in and focusing on you know, these major you know, plot developments and the major characters. I kind of was assuming that we probably wouldn't really see Highwinds Holt again. Right. And that would be something that, you know, maybe would be explored in some future ElfQuest story or whatever. So the fact that yeah. we're coming back here at this stage of the game, to me, tells me that there's still something significant that's going to happen there. Hmm, interesting. So you expect to see more of it in the last two issues? Uh, yeah, I think because, okay, so so number one, we get we get Rogan's name. So we're finally, you know, learning a little bit more about this, you know, very, very, very background character. Um, and then we get introduced to yet another human. You know, yes. this new guy, um, this pilgrim who has followed the legends up to, you know, this Highwinds Holt area to want to learn more about the spirits that live there. And he discovers Corbasi and his crew. And um, and he's interesting. We don't get to learn his name, but he's missing an eye. And, you know, he... I almost felt like that uh, that not naming him was sort of a bit of an in-joke, maybe, uh, just because the fans are always clamoring for names of characters. 
Probably. And this is kind of like Wendy and Richard saying, no, this one, we're not, we're definitely not giving you the name of this guy. Well, it's like, it's like, you know, we give it with one hand and we take away with the other. Like we finally get Erlgen's name mm-hmm, and then yeah, they introduce a new human and they don't tell us his name. Right. <laughs> it's like they have to keep like the nameless character quotient at a certain <laughs> level. <laughs> there has to be at least one. Yeah. After what? Yeah. Um, and well, so yeah. Uh, Tinge's uh, fair faucet hair there. Oh my God. I even love the Tinge's hair. And let me just say it. I'm, I want to be on the record. I think it's the most fabulous hair at all of Elfquest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. That's, that's saying a lot. Because and that is saying it. a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, no, I, I think it's awesome. And, um, yeah, so, you know, they're all, the, the, the orphans are all grown up, and they're, they're, they're now kind of living there and kind of taking over this, this sort of stone temple-like structure that my guess is that the Wolf Riders really didn't do much with. And mm-hmm. Yun says it as much. He's like, you know, says as much. She says, you know, this is really different from the last time I was here. And you can see they've, they've kind of added a little bit of a homey charm to it. They've yeah. got tapestries and bottles and, and Ergen is sweeping, you know, kind of keeping mm-hmm. it tidy. It looks kind of cozy now, um, yeah. not kind of like a wild Wolf Rider halt, which is interesting. Right. Oh, right. you know, I, yep. I was just going to say, too, on that note, um, on the very the very first panel, we see this little table with bundles of sticks or roots or something tied up. Yeah. And again, like that's a, like there's something going on here or there's something that is going to go on here. There's a lot of stuff packed into this opening scene here that just to me are little clues that there's going to be a little bit more that happens there. Um, so I don't know what those bundles of roots or twigs or whatever are, but they they're, they're drawn in a very particular way that mm-hmm. leads me to believe that leads me to believe that there's just something going on there. I don't know. Did you have any, did that even catch your attention? Uh, yeah, it did catch my attention. And I think that was, uh, like you said, it, it seems like it was deliberate. Um, I have no idea what it could be for though. Like what the, the significance of, of that is like those roots themselves. But uh, uh, I, I feel like this is some, maybe some sort of setup for um, if there are future stories coming, then uh, this might go towards explaining some of the humans on uh, abode um, holding the uh, the elves in sort of a um, almost a quasi religious kind of right. reverent. Uh, you know, maybe this is the beginnings of some sort of belief system or something that right. the humans sort of create. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I, I mean, well, I think Shun is doing that already over on yeah. Icehold. You know, so yeah, for sure. and we and we know, you know, from reading the. The, all the future quest stories, Jink the Rebels and, and Future Quest, however, you know, however much canon they are, which I think some some is and some isn't, um, that you know, the Junslanders generally have a negative impression of the elves, which would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And the Ice Holters tend to have a, a more positive view. And I think again those roots there are are there in Shuna and everything that's happened with the Juns versus the Wolf Riders, but you're right, maybe this is a pocket of Junsland that is going to be sort of pro elf. Right, exactly. And but I the, think that uh when you mention Iceholt, I think we're going to see the um, the beginnings of that in the next two issues as well, uh, dependent upon how the sort of conflict plays out and and how the humans are involved in that. Uh, yeah, native Iceholters. Yeah, I I want to say, and I might be wrong about this, that uh-huh. we've already heard the word Iceholt in Final Quest, that those terms 
Jundsland yeah, and Icehold might have have you know already started to be used in reference to the continents. And I don't know, I can't remember off the top of my head where in what issue, and if it was an elf or a human that said it or or what. But uh, that's a homework assignment, dear listeners. If anybody can ferret that out and um, you know maybe post it in the Facebook thread when we post this or in the comments section on SoundCloud um, and let us know because I am um, I'm drawing a blank, but my gut tells me that. Um, yeah, that I we think it have might seen have it. been the Junsman that used it at one yeah. point. Or was it Dubois maybe said that uh, Icehold, the elves were on Icehold? It might have been. Yeah. I yeah. feel like it was a human too, so. Yeah. Um, so at any rate, yeah. Uh, um, one thing that I was always intrigued about with the Highwinds Holt was its origin and, uh, you know, what its purpose was, these ruins. Um, and I was... Uh, sort of um speculating or imagining that we would get some sort of a little bit more information on that uh during the course of final quest and then like you said after the first kind of sequence with uh, that focused on ember's tribe we kind of uh pulled away from highwind's holt and didn't really see it again for a while so uh, i don't know if we're going to get any more information on that but i'm still intrigued by you know why this structure this temple or whatever it is was built in the first place and what right. the symbols mean you know those triangle symbols that are, yep yeah, which like which which again you, you you could see them very prominently mm-hmm. in that bottom panel on mm-hmm. page one you know you see the two there's two there's you know two sets of them um right over yeah. the, the doorway when you enter into again sort of the temple part of it so yeah there's definitely something up. i mean wendy and richard would not do all of this if there wasn't something significant about it Right. That's my guess. That's my prediction. Now, you know, I don't know if it's going to be like the entirety of the next two issues, but I feel like we're going to come back here before the very end and there'll be yeah. some significance there. Okay. Um, and of course, yeah. Yeah, I think that the biggest point of this of this scene is to just demonstrate that Yun has really mastered the the uh, the magic of flying the pot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, she's also uh-huh. got a new outfit, which. She does, I think it's yeah. also fabulous. It's kind yeah. of an iteration of what she's been wearing, these sort of grays and dark blues and browns, you know, sort of rusty browns, but um, a little bit more of a long length in the tunic. And, yeah, I just think it's cool. Yeah, it's a little less go back, more um, kind of uh, – like, You know what? It's kind of like high ones. Yes, yes, you took the words out of my mouth. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it's sort of like the, the – uh, a go back version of a high one. Yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more refined, a little bit more elegant, but still yeah. has some practicality and maybe even like a note of a firmer to it. You know, with the the stiff leather parts of the tunic that are that hang down, almost feel kind of to me like I don't know, like like armor, the way that they wrap around. Definitely. Yeah. So one thing I want to point out here too is uh, this surprised me that Corbasi refers to Skywise as grandsire. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I wasn't expecting that, and uh, so that leads me to believe that maybe over the course of the last what, however, thirty years or so, um, that Skywise has maybe established some sort of relationship with Corbasi behind the scenes. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is uh, also, you know, um, speaks to his character development as well, because we all know um, from the very beginning that Skywise hated humans, right? right. Um, yeah. So, you know, if he's at this stage now where he, a human is referring to him as grandsire, then he would have to have some sort of relationship, I would imagine. Otherwise, why would Kerbasi bother saying that, right? I, I right. mean, yes, he could – he he um, 
regards Yun as his mother because she adopted him when he was a just a toddler. But um, if Skywise wasn't involved in his life in some way, then why would he bother referring to him as grandsire? Sure, yeah, and I, I like that idea too. I, I can kind of imagine the you know Skywise hanging out at Highwind's Holt, um, you know, for a weekend. You know, just yeah, hopping yeah. over in a pod and, um, you know, and hanging out with Corbasi and getting to know him and everything. And, you know, listen, if if Strongbow can get over his his hatred of humans to really embrace Shuna, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. he's still not a fan of humans in general, but he has gotten past his just sort of blind hatred of them. Right. I well, think she did you know, save his life. So that's a pretty good reason. For right. Him. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I think Skywise has gotten there as well. Um, if nothing else, he's been so focused over the course of five final quest on you know just getting the palace going and Tamain and all of that that he has kind of you know just like he's not really like battling anymore and going on quests on foot with swords except for his mission to go save cutter in final quest mm-hmm. like he did in, in prior quests i think he's not really thinking about those down-to-earth things like human threat of, of battle and everything he's really focused elsewhere right. and that probably has freed him up to be a little bit more i don't know open towards the humans sure yeah they're allies at least definitely yeah exactly so yeah yeah, i guess you know what will happen at high winds hold remains to be seen but i think we're both in agreement that uh we're predicting that there will be something something's up over there um molly says uh we think more will come to learn about the good spirits so we are preparing for them right and um erlgen says uh and if any come for trouble we'll just kick them off the cliffside so uh (laughs) what molly says there you know it's sort of I think maybe that's where I was thinking of this beginnings of sort of um, this reverence for the the elves. You know, it's like they're mm-hmm. creating almost like a temple, like a religious temple almost. Totally, where yeah. Where pilgrims are going to arrive and and learn about the good spirits. You know, and it it could become this like quasi a spiritual belief or something. Sure. Yeah. Well, the whole thing has a very um, and I don't know much at all about Buddhism, but as a as a non-Buddhist Buddhism expert, it has, it, to me, it just has a little touch of that. And I completely agree. That's yeah, sort what of, I was feeling too. Yeah. This temple on a mountainside and it's kind of peaceful and, you know, sort of sacred, but like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That's just the vibe that I get. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so next scene, we're moving all the way over across the ocean to the, uh, to the palace. Yeah, and we get to see um, I, I, what I think is an incredible scene of beauty of Moonshade um, in full-blown high one high one form, and Benka both in their flowy palace gowns, and they're standing up at the at the top of the palace, kind of looking out at the beauty of the of the spring woodland and the and the flowers. And we, you know, Moonshade basically, you know, says that you know, or actually no, Benka says it. You know, she kind of sets us up for what ends up happening in the rest of this issue. We basically have, you know, the season. The, the warm seasons, and by the time fall comes, the palace is going to go. So mm-hmm. that that amount of time passes in this issue, you know. So right. I would imagine, you know, April to October or something like that um, yeah. is the amount of time that passes. And um, and yeah, so they're chatting, and Venka talks about the fact that you know her baby's almost ready, and that you know she was pregnant when when the she got shot by the humans. And that Rake didn't know it, which is, you know, that's kind of interesting because, you know, it takes a couple of years for mm-hmm. for elf babies to cook. If you're a wave dancer, it takes longer. But uh... <laughs> yeah, we didn't know that either at that point. Right. We only no, found out that... a few issues ago. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 
which is kind of neat. And um, remember a few issues ago when Venka said something about um, her choice. Oh yeah, um, Ember and Tear taking over like her role within the Gobacks. Right. Like Tear kind of taking over that role, and then she was talking about her choice. And remember we were sort of speculating on that. Like, what did she mean? Yeah. But so I... do do we have any more? like info on that or is it just that she's leaving was I that think what it's she just, meant yeah th that's how i took it i mean i take okay. it to mean that her choice was to give up being chief of the gobacks and you know leading that tribe on the world of two moons and just making the choice to leave in the palace mm -hmm. and the fact that <clears throat> the gobacks have kind of relocated to to you know the area of the Holt and well right now some of them are in Father Tree Holt and some of them are over at Blue Mountain where the palace well was um, that you know they're over there now and so between Tyr and Ember they really have leadership and so she can kind of abdicate and make that choice to go into the palace and give birth to her child and have her child be a, you know a palace dweller mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and since Where we're talking. Where is the palace right now? Is it at Blue Mountain or is yeah, it in the, the Palace? Yeah, the palace is at Blue Mountain. Okay. okay. Which I know it, it is a little hard to keep track of where everybody is where. But yeah, the palace has been at Blue Mountain for, uh, you know, again, 10 years or so. Um, you know, it, just to recap, you know, the palace was in Father Treeholt, you know, basically after Shards. And so a, you know, sort of an undetermined amount of time. We know at least 20 years passed in the Final Quest prologue and the in the final quest special there had been probably you know i don't know 10 years or so that had passed between shards and that and then over the course of final quest until um we got to the that 10 year jump there maybe a little bit more time passed so i don't know maybe the palace was in father tree hill for somewhere between i would guess 30 to 50 years somewhere in that time range and then when the call went out Cutter realized like all of these elves are going to descend on the halt and we don't want big crowds here. So is that lucky? Yeah. Can you hear him? It's yeah. It, it just for everybody, everyone haven't heard from him in so long. We're recording on Halloween. And so we have trick or treat. Oh, yeah. And so Justin is on candy duty and lucky is helping him. So <laughs> apologies as always for my loud dog. <laughs> well, no, I'm, gl I'm glad to hear him because we haven't heard him in a long time. So. <laughs> That's so funny because I, I, I had the door shut and yeah, so, so much for that. Um, yeah. I put dogs, but uh, yeah. So anyway, end of the shards war, the palace is in Thorny Mountain Holt. I, again, my guess, my math, rough, rough 30 to 50 years. Um, they send out the call. Cutter decides we really don't want crowds of elves showing up here. So the decision is made to move the palace at that point over to the ruins of Blue Mountain. And there it has been for – there was a 10-year time span that, that passed when all the elves were coming. Um, and then we kind of picked up in real time in Final Quest. And I, I can't remember exactly what issue that was um, in Final Quest, but um, I haven't memorized all that detail yet like I have for final, like previous quests, but I will yeah. eventually. But I, I definitely years have passed since then. But just slow, slow years, you know, like we've right. seen the seasons change a few times mm -hmm. since that. But there's not been like a big time jump. 
Yeah, I feel like somebody needs to make a uh, flowchart or something with, you know, all the for final quests, like where everybody is at certain times and how much time has elapsed in general. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and like the palace is now here. Now the palace is in Blue Mountain. Now it's in right because yeah, yeah, it's so... hard to keep track sometimes. But um, yeah, and yeah. I can only imagine Wendy and Richard's you know effort to like keep these like thousands of characters and places straight in their heads. It's, it, it does get a little bit confusing if you're, if you're not really kind of paying attention in gory detail. So, well, but, but I wonder if they have some sort of flow chart, you know, like a whiteboard and they just, you know, <laughs> right. Like, okay, now issue 21, the palace is here. Right. They, they either do, or when they hear this, their heads are exploding at the notion <laughs> that we would expect them to have something like that. So, <laughs> I suspect it's the latter, but you yeah, know, probably. <laughs> um, so, uh, so at any rate, yeah, the palace, uh, uh, you know, as for purposes of this issue, the palace has been in the Blue Mountain area for ten plus years, um, and again, you know, Venka has made the in more recent times has made the choice to you know full become a full blown palace dweller. She's obviously not as far along as some others because she's not as tall and we haven't really seen her use any magic. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised um, that she uh she hasn't um made herself taller given yeah. how many of the others have. Speaking of that, if we go to the next page we've got uh in the top panel Sava, Sunstream, Timain, and then uh the trolls. But um mm -hmm. speaking of height, Sunstream is still his like between wolf rider stature and high one stature mm -hmm. and it's starting to bother me now because i'm like <laughs> why doesn't he just increase his size to full high one height like what is preventing him from doing that at this stage yeah when everybody else is well is everyone really... else i kind of get the i kind of get the impression that the you know the sh the, the the elves that were born you know with a shorter stature are all about the height of of Sunstream now versus the height of Sava or Tame. Really? Yeah. I feel Moon, like Moonshade is the height of Sunstream, not the height of Tame. Yeah, I mean if you if you if you look at her Yeah. Compared to Venka. You know, Venka, you know, comes up to you know, her head comes up to maybe Moonshade's eyes. Maybe her nose. Which you know, generally speaking, the the Wolf Rider size elves are like kind of shoulder height to say a Sava. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I got that's just sort of my impression, and I haven't really thought about it until you just brought brought it up. Um, Heratim is the uh, height of Tamane. Right, but he was born of you know a a glider who started out tall, and yep. he was born in the palace. So he would have mm -hmm. you know I feel like the 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 elves that were born out in the world and started out small are still not quite as tall as those who were who always had that form like. Well, except, or... yeah, except for Shires, though, at the end of the issue. Well, I mean, again, that's that's right. I, I would say that's an exception. Hmm. So okay. here's here's again, Wendy and Richard, cover your ears. We're gonna get out a tape measure and we're gonna start comparing. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, going back to the height thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean. It's probably not really terribly important, but I think to me, it's they're probably all they're not all going to be the exact same height, and maybe one day they'll shape themselves into all being the same height, the way that Skywise seems to have shaped himself to be the size of Tamane. I feel like that's Sunstream's natural height at this point. 
Like, I don't know that he is using magic to be that, that size, if that makes sense. Well, no, because he, I mean, he used magic, I think, initially to make himself that height, right? But now he's, like, cell-shaped, so... See, I don't think that... Now. I think, you think in, that he was going to be that height regardless? Well, I think that that happened while he was cocooned. Yeah. When he was sort of, you know, kind of training, you know, in, in deep sleep in, in the rap stuff. I don't think that he did that to himself. I think that the palace, you know, sort of infused in him a little bit and he just naturally got taller. You know, I think just I, just like the rest of the Sun Villagers, I don't think they all deliberately shape themselves at okay, least not initially i think the the implication is that you know they the just by being the in, palace right yeah. just naturally make by osmosis it right just exactly made them taller yeah okay no no i agree with that so yes. i think that's but, i mean itself. that's still magic right sure but not I, not self-guided exactly yeah yeah okay so, so who knows maybe at some point they will all be the exact same height you know five foot 11 good. inches right exactly and so maybe it'll just take Venka a little bit longer to catch up because she hasn't been living in the palace for quite as long as the rest of them have. But remember how Skywise and Lita were preventing themselves from right. getting taller? Yeah. Right? So they were actively working against the magic of the palace. That's how I took that. Exactly, yeah. 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 The, the, how I took it that same way, that Lita yeah. was using her powers to sort of not let the palace have her and Skyways again naturally be influenced to grow and that was remember that was back when the palace was still at the halt at father tree halt so they were yeah. living right next to it that presumably that influence would have diminished as the palace went away to um to blue mountain at least mm -hmm. for lita mm -hmm. so the thing about sunstream too is that he is the exact height of uh the wave dancers right like he's the height of brill right yeah so Hmm. I was because th that was what I was thinking too. Was that maybe when he was in the cocoon, he chose to be that height because he would be the same height as Brill, and sure. not any taller. Right? I think that's but... as good. As, yeah, I think that theory works. If that's yeah. what you want to think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with that. What you know, again, maybe it was conscious. Maybe it wasn't conscious. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, maybe the palace sensed that he's about he's re he's recognized. You know, this taller elf, and so. Yeah. yeah, but again, I think they're all within a few inches of each other. So yeah. I don't know. For me, I don't obsess. I try not to obsess about those things. Right. Get size out. doesn't matter. Size doesn't matter. And get out the tape measure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh... I, I think I know where you were going with this by bringing up size <laughs> because we, we get to see in the scene something pretty monumental. We see a contingent of trolls who have decided mm. to answer the call of the palace. And they are led by none other than everybody's favorite first-comer troll. And we really get to see him in, you know, physically in context, not just with the elves, but also with the other trolls. And I know that there has been some, you know, chatter since his introduction um, about, you know, his size, like he seems, you know, bigger or smaller, you know, whatever, than people's impressions. And, uh, you know, folks are referring back to the, the very first issue of ElfQuest, when we actually see him standing there coming out of the palace. And yes, I will say this. He does seem a little bit smaller there than he does as he's depicted now. Um, yeah. However, oh, I have a couple things to say about that. The first is, you know, that was, again, the very first issue. And so, you know, as Wendy has over 40 years evolved 
her art style and characters, you know, so maybe he's a little bit bigger than she originally depicted him. Again, I'm not getting at the tape measure. Um, but if that is not satisfactory to you, then I would offer this suggestion is that, you know, as soon as the trolls left the palace, Mm-hmm. The the influence of the palace would have you know uh, 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 vanished or at least been diminished, and so that could have allowed some of those first karma trolls to sort of immediately in their in their bodies just grow slightly bigger, um, right. and it could have meant as we learn on the next in the next panel here that old Maggotty is of the firstborn generation of trolls, and she yeah. obviously is is the size of what we would call a modern troll, including her nose. So that change yeah. happened pretty much instantly, you know, it didn't, yeah, within, within, one generation. within a generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's my theory. If, if I want to reconcile some of these, uh, you know, sort of height differences and everything. And again, you can see that the, uh, you know, the trolls, the modern trolls are a little bit taller and bulkier and obviously bigger nosed than the, uh, than the first comer troll is, but he's not too far off. No, and, he's not. Um, you know, it looks like he's coming up, you know, maybe to, to Tumane's waist, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so I don't know, that's how I'm choosing to interpret all that. Maybe they, he, you know, again, without the living in the palace, um, and free of the magical influence, their bodies kind of did went along their own evolutionary path and, but maybe being so infused with magic for so long, they were able to sort of, I don't want to say self-shape, but their bodies just kind of did their natural thing and they got bulkier. Yeah. No, I think that's a good explanation. You know, um, at 10 million years old, I mean, it happens to everyone. Plus, uh, he looked quite young in episode one too. Um, episode one, uh, issue one, the uh, the fir- the first comer troll. Um, so as far as like him getting bigger and stuff, that would make sense, right? He's not going to be the same size as depicted in issue one. Well, but because it, he looked a lot younger. Again, I think that's more just art style because you got to remember he he had been traveling with the palace. Since they left the, the 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 star home, he actually started out as 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 an ape, as a as a ground digging ape, and he evolved in the palace through the palace's magic into the troll form. Yeah, but do we know that for sure? Because it's possible that there was more than one generation born within the palace yeah. itself. Right? No, you definitely go back and read what he says because yeah. this is something okay. that I, that that caught my attention. Yeah, he he. he is definitely he was born on the star home and we know that yeah and and he says something like you know me and then all of the other generations that were born in the palace um you know that evolved into the troll form so again within the palace Mm -hmm. the the transformation happened and okay i gotta go back and read that then because yeah uh, yeah, I, I either I read it and forgot or I missed that. But uh, yeah, okay. it, it, at the end of the original quest, mm-hmm. when we mm-hmm. hear Tamane's story in the Scroll of Colors, you know, she says she makes a, some kind of uh, comment about you know many generations of our of our our pets or whatever you know came and went, and eventually they you know they became like us you know long lived or whatever. And so in Final Quest, we get a little bit more specific with that. And we learn that again, the, the, the first comer troll actually started out as an ape on on the on the star home. And though generations passed in the palace, and many trolls were born and lived and died, you know, he, he, presumably he at least, you know, it, it was able to you know kind of get to or, immortality pretty immediately and evolve into the form that we see him now. Wow. 
Okay. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he, he, I mean, again, I think that all underscores that he really is to me. It's equal at least. Yeah. For the last several, you know, eons, millennia, whatever millennia times 10 is, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, mm. you know, he's been around so long that the difference in his age and to me, it's probably negligible. Right. So, exactly. yeah. um, so yeah, so, so the trolls, um, you know, they're moving into the palace. It's pretty awesome. And Maggotty's with them, which I'm kind of sad about a little bit because Maggotty is such an, like, she's just such a creature of like, you know, a dank tunnel and like with a bubbling cauldron that there's a little bit of, of disconnect for me seeing her in the palace at the same time. Yeah, I agree. Like, what is she going to do when she goes back to the star home where everything's like, presumably they're going to try and transform it into what it was, you know, like crystals and rainbows and everything. <laughs> well, that's, um, I mean, we've only seen that, you know, yeah, we don't know what, colors, but... what it looks like underground right and so who knows what the trolls yeah. so in a way I, you know the for a character of the awesomeness of old maggoty i on the flip side of me having difficulty imagining her being in the palace i also think it's kind of awesome that she's you know at this stage of her life just brave enough to pick up and go and i think she's obviously really devoted to the first comer troll um and mm -hmm. that maybe is leading to her decision so what is the – this is something I'm not 100% clear on. I don't know if it's really been explained yet, but what is the idea here with going back to the Star Home? They're, they're going to renew it. Uh, is that the plan? And the trolls are going to, um, like, live on, on that planet? Or, like, are the elves going to remain in the palace and they're going to travel throughout the – universe like i'm not really quite clear is there, are they just going to the star home and that's it well they're gonna like travel around the stars what's what's the plan i don't think there is a plan that okay at least not that we've been told but everything you just yeah. said is, is is sort of is my take and some of my questions too that i don't think again have specifically been answered but mm -hmm. i was just kind of going through and and definitely if you even as far back as the final quest special the, the reference has been, you know, we're going back and we're going to kind of restore the star home. That has actually been said a few different times. Like initially, I was thinking like we're returning to the star home, meaning just sort of space. But mm -hmm. as Final Quest has progressed, you know, leading up to this issue, um, you know, it, I think it's pretty clear that their plan is to travel the stars and get back to their original planet, the star home, mm -hmm. and try to do some restoration. Now, is that going to take a million years? to get from point A to point B? Are they going to zip there immediately? Um, you know, are they all going to stay there? Are some of them going to, I, I don't think there's answers to any of those questions. I think it's just sort of a big mystery at this point, which I'm fine with, you know, I mean, the main point is that they're leaving the world of two moons. Right. Um, on top of that, another mystery that uh, might never be solved, but if the original Coneheads couldn't save the planet, at the time that they left, which um, resulted in them having to leave, then what is different about the elves that they can go back and restore it? Are the elves more powerful than the Coneheads were? Yeah, so here's this is an interesting question, and this is another perfect example of 
the whole great egg theory of ElfQuest, that every new symbol changes all the meanings of the ones that came before it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's a good question, but that some of it is an assumption that the High Ones were incapable of restoring their, their original planet. I think if you go back and read the original Scroll of Colors, it just said that the, our planet was, was dead and dying. So we chose to pick up and go, and we took the last living things with us, right? So now that we are here in Final Quest and we know that they want to go back there and restore it, it makes me interpret that original Scroll of Colors story that Tamain told at the end of the original quest a little bit differently. You know, maybe they have the power to, to, to try to restore it, but they had already tra- left and come back, and maybe they were just ready to leave at that point. Hmm. That's that's kind of my take on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Because that's, I mean, I, I, yeah. the, the, a lot of, uh, there's this whole idea of, are they going back to the original planet? What are they going to do there? Isn't it dead? It's something that a lot of people are, are asking questions about. So mm-hmm. um, I've been thinking about it, and that's that's kind of where I've come to. And who knows? I mean, we might we might see it. I don't know. I mean, there's two more issues to go. So yeah. I'd be. I mean, we know that there's going to be you know, big battle with the Jundsmen, just based on the, you know, the cover of issue 23, it's a battle with the Jundsmen that's being depicted. Um, and of course, you know, just the thrust of the story is heading that way. But um, I don't know. I think that we might see uh, the the Star Home, at least glimpse it um, before this is all out. So we'll, we, we might actually get some more answers to those questions. What if there's a huge twist at the end and, the star home isn't there anymore. It's been swallowed up by its son or something, and they have to return. Uh, yeah, that right now, you know, <laughs> plot twist. I think I I am preparing myself for anything because I really don't know. Hmm. I don't know that that could happen. Um, they, you know, the Jundsmen could overwhelm everybody, and they could have to be rescued by the palace and all leave the planet, even though they didn't want to. Hmm. Um. You know, so who knows? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So hmm. going back to the trolls here, though, the other yeah. neat thing, you know, we see the first comer troll. He's um, he slimmed down from his, you know, yeah, sort of yeah. really, 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 you know, sort of bad shape. And um, but I love the fact that he is of troll proportion. He's not a skinny mini. You know, he's not a bathing suit model. He's just as Note. stout and full bodied as the natural troll body type is. So yeah. I, you know, I, I love that. Um, and we also get to see the other trolls that are there. And at least one of them is Scottish. Is Scottish. Yes. I noticed that too, with his, <laughs> his awesome plaid and his kilt or whatever he's got going on there. Um, <laughs> no, I was talking about the female one who is the female who was admiring her butt cheeks when Mender, um, you know, healed the misfit trolls. So my guess is that at least some of these guys are the misfits. And I kind of love that they're getting their, you know, their story is kind of coming full circle. You know, they were warped by presumably the bad magic that had created mad coil that sunstream eventually, um, you know, dissipated that was lingering in the father tree Holt area. And, and through elf magic, they were restored to healthy and hale bodies and minds. And now they're kind of, you know, choosing to go back to their, their oldest ancestry and live this sort of high life. And I'm making air quotes there um, mm-hmm. 
it's just kind of nice that they're that they're we're getting to see something positive happening with them. Yeah, definitely. I didn't even uh, notice that until you pointed it out that that was the same um, troll. Yeah. Just checking out her, her butt. Yeah. <laughs> checking out her own butt cheeks. Exactly. Um, I mean, yeah, so let's be honest. Kind of cool. who, who hasn't done that, right? So. Right. <laughs> right. Of course. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So then we get uh, Maggoty um, reacting pretty emotionally to what Tamane says to her that uh, you're welcome, most revered of firstborn trolls. Um. Okay. So I had a little bit of an issue with this yeah with maggoty's reaction yeah because i felt like it was slightly out of character for her i would have expected from maggoty something um like a sarcastic remark to that yeah i not not the tears that kind of felt out of character for me so what are your thoughts on that so i totally get that because i mean that's how we know old maggoty old maggoty she's this curmudgeonly uh you know sharp-tongued saucy old wench totally yeah and so and and she's certainly been shown to be none too fond and none too respectful towards the elves right so mm. i think that the that makes this scene all the more important because i had that initial reaction too i was like oh that seems kind of weird for maggoty to get emotional over being recognized by by Timane. but here's here's the thing that i have been kind of rolling around in my mind is that you know the elves aren't a threat anymore. And I think a lot of Maggoty's disdain for elves comes from this overcompensating her own superiority and her mm-hmm. people's superiority in, in, in the face of a, an oppressor. Mm-hmm. And now that that dynamic really has, you know, I don't want to say it's gone away, but the elves at least have, have made major steps forward in making reparations um, I think we're seeing a little bit of that that crusty, you know, layered, you know, exterior of Maggoty. You know, just we're seeing a little softening of that because she obviously has great respect for the first cover troll, and I think secretly deep down she obviously probably also does for for an elf like Tamane, who she recognizes. You know, however ancient Maggoty is, these two beings like dwarf her in age and experience and everything. You know, mm-hmm. kind of in the same way that Strongbow reacted to, to Maine in, in a sense. You know, like he he immediately grasped that she was just a much bigger being than him. That's what I think is going on with Maggoty here. She doesn't have to be knee jerk and nasty and defensive towards the elves. And secretly deep down, she probably does have some kind of you know, awe at a minimum, you know, maybe not reverence, but I think maybe some awe at being like Tamane. And the fact that Tamane knew who she was and recognized her, you know, we just kind of see this crack in her shell. And I think that's what's going on here. Uh, she hmm. just gets a little bit emotional, which, of course, she makes up for a few pages later when she makes the crack to Shen Shen that she can't even talk to Shen Shen anymore because she's too ugly to look at. And human. Yeah. <laughs> which is like one of my all-time favorite lines of all elf quests that, like, to date – is that little nasty co- comment, you know, Maggoty back in full character like we know her. But yeah, I think yeah. I think the, the call out of this was specifically to show that there's more to Maggoty than than what we've been shown. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I can see your line of reasoning there. Yeah. Uh, but mm, I don't know. To me, it still seems slightly off. So, well, and I think that's a lot of like. Uh, out of story explanation that has to be injected into it to sort of 
justify it. Like, for me, when I just see that panel, I'm like, whoa, why is Old Magadie reacting like that? Like, it just seems sure. really out of character for her. So, sure, yeah, but I, mean, I, can, I can see your point. But I think, I think that that is deliberately why Wendy and Richard did it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think they've said this, but I think a lot of what they're putting in here, especially with stuff like this, you you got to work at it a little bit. You do have to think about it, and they're not going to spoon feed us every last single thing. And I might be totally wrong, by the way. That's just my interpretation, because it did stand out to me, too, as being a little bit like, oh, why would Maggoty do that? So, but that sparked me to kind of think about it a little bit more and come to the conclusion that I have to which again, you know, you may or may not buy into, but I think it's there for that purpose to point out that Maggoty, um, again, that there's more going on with Maggoty than just this this one note, you know, crone, curmudgeon, kind of nasty old troll. Um, yeah. you know. If nothing else, I, I kind of think of it as that maybe you know there's there's that heart of gold thing going on in there, and that she is more vulnerable than she might always let on, yeah. at least in this one specific instance. Mm-hmm. Except I kind of like her not having a heart of gold. Well, well, you t- and you took the words out of my mouth because, th- and again, that's why I pointed out immediately that she goes right back to her old nasty self, and that's how I like my Maggoty. I don't yeah, like exactly. this, this, you know, the sobbing, you know, softy Maggoty. So no. I, I think it's fine that she had that one moment, but let's keep Maggoty, you know, crusty and nasty, please. <laughs> yeah, not sentimental. It's just doesn't right. feel right. But so the next uh, panel here, we've got. Tamain bowing down to the um, the first comer troll. Does he have a name yet? No, he hasn't been given a name either. Okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, she makes a comment here again that sort of, you know, opens up a whole other uh, Pandora's box of questions. But uh, you know, she says uh, the star home itself cannot do without you. Well, first she says we know. Uh, well, the whole thing. She says, not by our words, but by our deeds. Know that we elf folk, nay, the star home itself cannot do without you. So the elves can't do without them, and neither can the star home. So what does that mean? Because why can't the elves do without the trolls? And why can't the star home do without them? What Are the trolls necessary in some way to the elves surviving? You know, that's and a really good question. Home? That comment didn't spark any deeper thought in me, maybe because I was focusing on figuring out why old Maggie would be so emotional. <laughs> um, but I have seen other folks um, speculating that maybe there's a deeper meaning there. Um, hmm. And you know what I immediately think of now that I say that is, you know, the preservers and the fact that they had a specific role that only they could play, you know, opening up that, that locked door to get into the scroll room and, you know, being able to find the palace, um, you know, just being, you know, connected to it. So that like homing beacon. So I don't know, maybe there is some function or something that, that the elves can't do themselves that only the trolls could do. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. I, when I read it, when I read it, I just took it to mean that Timane was recognizing that we're no better than you. And, you know, we, you have every right to come back to the home and you have every right to be in this palace. And, you know, in, in that sense, like we, like we can't do this the right way unless you guys are here. Right. That's like, it was of... more a way of sort of acknowledging their worth yeah. than sort of, uh, like saying that there was a specific right. purpose that they were required for. Yeah. Or that they, yeah. But, but, but again, uh, it could be read both ways though. Right. And yeah. now that now that um, 
you know, we're having this conversation and I've read some of the other comments, like I said, it kind of made me think of the preserver's role. So, so yeah, I mean, we'll, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. Two issues. Two issues. <laughs> uh, so then we're off to, uh, the ocean with the wave dancers. We've got, mm -hmm. um, Sunstream sending to Brill because he's unsure of whether or not she's, uh, whether she's going to leave with him and uh he's unsure of it but she's unsure of it more than anybody she doesn't know what she's going to do right um he sunstream says we'll do everything in our power to make the trolls happy hmm, interesting okay so there's another thing relating back to the trolls that opens a whole other line of questioning but uh yeah well well i mean uh, just before we get into him and brill i mean again i just think yeah. it goes along with the sentiment that Tamane is expressing that the elves are committed to you know, essentially not being dicks and treating yeah, trolls yeah. like, you know, like slaves, which is what they were, you know, for all intents and purposes, right? So mm -hmm. um, the elves are now cognizant of whether or not they meant to be that way or not. They still were, were, were that, you know, they subjugated these other beings and they're committed to not doing that and being kind of equal with them. So that's how I took, you know, took sunstream's comment there um but again we'll see maybe the trolls do have some other special things that purpose yeah, or yeah something yeah but uh um yeah so then we've got uh uh Corfei and um reef cavorting in the uh in the water and which, then which is super um, cute yeah and uh are they a couple yet we don't know right I are think... they love mates i think they are i think they are but they might be still very yeah they've got to be I mean, let's face it, they're they're both adults. You know, again, Corife is what, twenty, thirty years old mm -hmm. at least. So Yeah. And yeah. and let's again, these are elves. They're elf quest elves. So Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh so Sunstream says I, I shan't be happy until you free me from this constant sting of not knowing to Brill because she hasn't made a decision yet as to whether or not she's leaving. Right. Um, and then she's so indecisive. She has been from the very moment she was introduced, though. So yeah, yeah. She's not unusual. Um, but uh, then she and Corife have this little uh, conversation here. Um, Brill says that she's weak. She sounds like she's kind of like down on herself about this that she can't mm -hmm. make this decision about whether she's gonna leave or stay um but Corfe is basically encouraging her to go yeah well i think i mean the and and it's not that she wants to get rid of her mother i think it's because she i mean she says it right there she says you know i know basically that you want to you're not going to be happy if you're not with father right with sunstream mm -hmm. so I think that's why she's encouraging her to go. So just like, just like free touch, it was okay. And encouraging Moonshade to go. Um, it's not that they want to get rid of their mothers, but it's just that they know that they're, <laughs> this is where their heart is really going to be happy. And I thought this was like super, super sweet, just some really great elf quest stuff going on. Um, and you know, with the, the line about, you know, father likens the night sky to the vast deep waters and that he says that, um, you two are, are moons. Um, and, what is, wait, he says that the two moons are you and he swimming through the stars. Mm -hmm. Just really, really sweet and beautiful kind of analogies and and very poetic. Yeah, very poetic, exactly. Uh, and then she makes the 
the suggestion that there are probably other worlds with um, covered by great unknown seas to be explored, right? Yeah, and that actually, um, you know, going back to what we were just talking about, that right there is a hint that, you know, maybe they are going to go exploring for a few millennia yeah, yeah, before they yeah. eventually get back to the star home. Or maybe they're going to go back to the star home and then go out exploring again. Who knows, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's how I would, that's how I would do it. <laughs> if i had the ballast right yeah you go to the star home you know start to bring it back to what it was but you know take some uh, day trips and go see yeah. what else is out there i why mean not? yeah when the universe is that you know is accessible to you why not right yeah yeah exactly um but you know um, what what bro's response to that i think is really interesting mm-hmm. um you know she says but i'm not i'm no explorer um it's the comforts of home and tribe that i crave and this to me was really uh, kind of a light bulb moment because I'll be honest, it's been a little bit hard for me to understand why elves would stay because so much of ElfQuest has positioned, you know, the world of two moons is a harsh place and the humans as, as you know, the enemies of the elves and really not even being capable of understanding these other beings um, that hum at a, at a faster pace or however you want to describe it. So, you know, with the Wolf Riders, I get it. They're part of the world. Um, but for some of the other elves, you know, it, it, at first I was like, oh, why would the Wave Dancers stay, you know? Mm-hmm. But this, I think, is a little bit more insight into the choice to stay for, for you know, some of the Wolf Riders, the Gobacks, and, and most of the Wave Dancers, you know, who, as far as we know are the only sort of main tribes that are staying, but, you know, there could be others out there. But this idea that they don't, they're not really drawn to the stars and that they, what they really crave is just their people. And what is she, again, the comforts of home and tribe. Um, and I guess I can see that, you know, like they don't need the stars in the same way like an elf like Rayek has always professed needing to go to the stars or, or Skywise or, um, you know, or like even Sava says way back in the beginning of, um, I think it was the beginning of Final Quest. She says something like, you know, the Sunfolk are done with this this world. You know, we're... Yeah, we've it. learned all the lessons that it has to teach right. us. Yeah, um, yeah. So we kind of hear a little bit of, 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 of another perspective here, which I was I was kind of needing to hear. So I, I really enjoyed this scene. Hmm. Yeah, it is unusual when you bring that up because I also thought that, um, you know, the majority of elves would want to leave by the end of this series and that it would be the Wolf Riders who would have to face that choice because they are the ones who are tied to the world of two moons, unlike any of the other elves. Um, and that uh, like the immortal elves would, it would really be no choice at all. They would just, that would be their whole, uh, you know, there, there would be, there would be no conflict within them. It would just be, okay. Yeah. We, we have the palace now and we're leaving. Um, so then to see like these other characters and other tribes decide that they want to stay is, uh, was, uh, it was surprising when I read this. Yeah. For, for me too. I totally get that. Cause I, again, I kind of had that same assumption going into this as, as well, that like, the elves are all going to leave. However, I have come to really fall in love with the idea that even on the world of two moons, you know, which is again, sort of, uh, uh, a metaphor for, for our world, for the real world. I've kind of fallen in love with this idea that there are still hidden ones out there, whether they be, yeah. you know, shape changed into our form, whether they be, um, you know, like the rootless ones that, that take the shape of the, the growing things, whether they be, 
you know, secret feral barbarians just, just out of my sight in the deep dark woods or, or for that matter in the deep dark seas. Um, I kind of love that idea. I think it's, it's, um, I think it would have been really sad if at the very end of all the world of two moons is completely devoid of all elves. Yeah, uh, I would agree. But I, my assumption going into this was that there would still be wolf riders left, right? but all of the immortals would be leaving. So the fact that they aren't, it was surprising. Yeah. Well, you know, it goes back to some of our other conversations too, about, um, you know, like the wave dancers becoming so much a part of the planet in the element that they live in water that they really don't want to live outside of it. So the idea of like going out from the palace would be just that much more unappealing to them. I think that mm-hmm. makes sense, you know, and again, we've learned the rootless one, same thing. Like they in their own way have become a part of the world of two moons. Yeah. Um, the fire elves that we know nothing about, same thing. Right. And all, all that we know is that they have no interest in leaving. Right. So it's, it's interesting to, to kind of play around with that in, in your mind too. Like, why do the elves want to leave? Instead of assuming that they all would want to leave, you know, maybe flip the question and say, you know, why, why, um, you know, why wouldn't they want to stay? And I think for the Sun Villagers, yeah, they've learned everything they can here. They're ready for the next adventure. Um, some of the other elves that have come to the palace, you know, and Wendy and Richard have confirmed there are dozens or maybe even hundreds of other elves that have shown up. But again, they're not the main focus of the story here. So we've only seen little glimpses of, of other new elves kind of in the background beyond, of course, Dreon and the Rootless Ones and, and that kind of thing. But uh, um, mm-hmm. so, oh, speaking of which. Um, just to, since we're talking about other elves showing up in the palace. Yeah. Um, all right. So this one is is a mind blower for me. So zipping forward to page 10, um, we we get to see – well, let, let's just finish talking about Brill because it's pretty much all we need to know is that Brill does make the choice to join Sunstream in the palace. She calls Yun and you know, has Yun pick her up, and Sunstream like kind of says, okay, well, Timmain really wanted you to walk here. To, you know, earn it, but I guess you know it's cool. We're not gonna we're not gonna slap you on the wrist for for cheating a little bit and getting here quick. But uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I was, I noticed that too. I was like, wait a second. Yeah, yeah, um, that's cheating. Um, but for Sunstream, you know, I think you know they're willing to make an exception. But um, but yeah, so in that scene where Burl shows up, yeah, we see the two elves that way back early in the series. Yeah, you know, we learn right after the call went out, they showed up, but they were so brutalized by whatever their trials were, they needed to go into rap stuff. And so right. they, you know, in preparation in the final gathering of elves before the palace leaves, they um, they're ready to be woken up and they cut they're cut open. And so, you know, I read that and I was like, oh yeah, there we go. Like we're getting to see those those two mystery elves again, and that's that. And I just kind of plowed on with the rest of everything else on the issue. But there was yeah. something a little bit familiar about them. But I yeah. really, I didn't really, like, I, I noted it in my brain, but uh-huh. I didn't really think about it until I started seeing other people um, and several people on in the Facebook group made the connection between these two uh-huh. and the elves that we see in the future quest stories from the anthology comic, a comic, Anavi and Moran. Right. And when I saw that, I was like, no. And then I was like, oh, my God, yes. Yeah. And so um, so let's unpack this for a second because okay. if that is them, right, Moran, she says, you know, oh, wow, like she sighs. What, what a strange dream. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. I'm taking that little nugget of info 
and and the fact that I've you know I again I know that I, I Wendy and Richard both have have sort of commented on social media and, and in interviews and things that um, you know that Jink and is canon and Future Quest is canon, but that you really kind of should look at those. Um, Wendy in particular has said things like you know kind of like through like a funhouse mirror, like they're a version of the reality and a version of the canon. And maybe it's a thread again in the scroll of colors of infinite possibilities that, you know, happen, but maybe it's not going to be the way that in the, in the central canon, it'll all play out in that exact same way. So when I, all of those thoughts started going off in my brain and I'm like, they, okay, why, why would they show them here? So what I think is what they're suggesting is that those future quest stories or or at least elements of all of the stuff that happens in the future, you know, again, might be not fully a hundred percent canon might be just sort of a dream or a reflection or a thread in the scroll. And that we readers shouldn't necessarily take it totally literally um, Mm -hmm. and wait and see what the future holds. Interesting. Yes. And I can completely see that. Yeah. That would uh, make a lot of sense. And again, you know, yeah. like what a this this with all of the monumental things that they had to deal with in this issue, the fact that they planted the seed of these two, you know, issues and issues ago, and they could have just right. left it at that, you know, like here's their representative of some of the travelers, you know, coming to the palace, but they revisited it, and mm. they weren't just some random elves; they were elves that we we've seen before in a different context, literally in a different time, both within the story. And frankly, in the real world, I mean, that was 25 years ago, the last time those elves were mentioned, right? I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of crazy. Oh, my God. Right? <laughs> so that long ago? Yeah. I mean, that was like mid-90s, right? Maybe yeah. maybe 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, but, I mean, that's – again, we're assuming that that's who they are. Well, and right. I think that's a really good assumption to make because I had the same thought as well. Um, but we have yet to hear their names. Um, so we don't know a hundred percent for sure if that's them. And I'm going to, I'm going to go on the record that we're never going to know for sure. And the reason I say that is because in the, the ElfQuest Facebook fan group, we've got a spoiler thread going for issue 22 and it's gotten at this point, like well over 900 comments. I think it's broken Mm -hmm. the record and Wendy has been pretty active commenting and answering some questions, you know, giving some, some additional context and, and that kind of thing. And she has been mum on this question and it's come up a couple of mm-hmm. times within those 900 questions. Cause of course I've your comments, cause of course I've read them all. Um, yeah. So and probably half of them are mine, but um, <laughs> so, so that tells me that that only reinforces for me that that's who these elves are supposed to be, but that Wendy and Richard are not going to just tell us. They want us to do the work ourselves and to come to our own conclusions on it. That's my take mm-hmm. on it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is mad because uh, yeah, we want to yeah. damn it. But I so, yeah, exactly. so respect Wendy and Richard for not just spoon-feeding us everything all the time. Right. Um, I mean, you say that you don't think we'll ever get – we'll ever know. Um Maybe within this story, but if the story is picked up later on, sure, if sure, another series comes out, you know, we we could get more info. Totally, yeah. I mean, I just yeah. mean like for right now, for Final Quest, yeah. I think they're gonna deliberately torture us with it because, right. <laughs> yeah, because we, you know, we tend to because why not? Right. right. Well, I think it's because we tend to obsess over over 
these kinds of details, which again, maybe are not pertinent to the main thrust of the tale. They're just sort of juicy little tidbits to the side. And Mm -hmm. the more we obsess about them, the more it redirects our focus away from the core of where Wendy and Richard want us to go. But they realize that it makes the story richer and more enjoyable for us. Um, And, but they're not going to hand it to us. They're going to make us work and they're going to make us speculate and they're going to torture us a little bit because that's part of the fun of all this, right? I'm just looking uh, in that thread right now and somebody posted a, um, a picture of that panel of uh-huh. the two of them next to uh, a couple of panels from that future quest story. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, it's yeah, pretty clear. That's them. Yeah. yeah. I think it was uh, yeah. our, our friend, Lorley Harbin who posted that. And she was the first one, I think to make that connection by posting the picture. And that's the one that I saw. And I was like, Oh, she is onto something because Holy crap. I didn't even, I wouldn't even have thought about it. It would have just yeah. like, totally over my head. So, you know, I want to actually take a, sh- a second to shout out to everybody that has participated in, again, the Facebook group and all the other social media places where we discuss all this stuff, because it really does make for such a rich experience of each issue coming out, because I learned stuff from you guys from reading all that stuff and reading your comments on this podcast. And I know you guys have been so great about saying that you guys learn stuff from, from us as well by listening to the podcast. So it's really just kind of a really great tribe, right? Like we all help each other kind of figure out all this crazy stuff that's ElfQuest. So just, you know, shout out to everybody out there for being awesome. Yeah, that's really cool that uh, people spotted that and then made these uh, side-by-side comparisons between the characters. Totally, cool. yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so we started talking about Brill and her choice, and you know, again, she makes her choice. I'm not sure that there's much else to say about her, but we also learn in that in that scene that um, that Spray and Salt have actually they 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 made it to the palace, and they almost didn't make it to the palace because some kind of large cat-like predator was about to pounce on them. Um, mm-hmm. But our, our friend Dreon showed up in the nick of time, and we've already we've already heard that he has been, I don't know, a <laughs> an escort, if you will, of of some of the elves as maybe as they're getting closer to the palace, um, he's kind of out there scouting, helping to to guide them through their, their final piece of their journey. And, you know, his power to sort of soothe conflict um, in this case has helped salt and spray survive and not end up in the belly of this, this predator. And, um, and we see them in the palace and their sparkly new flowy gowns. And we see that spray has already learned to float which is pretty mm-hmm. awesome, um, which, you know, I mean, you know, we were talking about Venka before and, um, you know, Venka maybe is not as, Venka is magical herself, but, you know, the wave dancers I think are much older and much closer yeah. to high ones. And so I think the suggestion there is that maybe, you know, maybe they're just generally more magical than many of the other tribes, um, kind of like the gliders were. And um, so it, it kind of makes sense that she would pick it up really, really quickly. And, and with that, you know, we see her after, again, I don't know how much time has passed, maybe a few years. Um, uh-huh. you know, she's been able to pick it up. So that's kind of neat. And, yeah. um, and salt, um, clothing to me is just, it's this sort of turquoise, um, turquoise green blue, which to me is evocative of the ocean and this sort of shimmery silver gold, which to me is kind of evocative of the stars. Yeah. And I just thought that was a nice little, you know, just sort of visual um, storytelling on, on Wendy's part there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They both have uh, bedazzled 
gowns that they're wearing. Yes, they are quite bedazzled. <laughs> they are, yes. <laughs> but somebody's been busy with that bedazzling gun. Totally, yeah. Um, yeah. So, all right. So let's see. We. T- oh, well, one other thing about the wave dancers too. Um, oh, yeah. we we haven't talked about Reef. Okay. So, so what happens in the scene is, uh, oh, yeah. the, the, the spine spots more of the Junsman ships attempting to cross the ocean to get over to Iceholt and has spied on them and learned that, you know, these aren't filled with warriors. There are more supplies and there's, there's women there. So presumably the Junsmen are really looking to set up a colony over on Iceholt. Um, you know, after they wipe out the wolf riders and all the other demons that are there and reef you know, in his, in his protective monster form is like, Oh no, we're not going to let that happen. And so, mm-hmm. um, and we saw this in the, in the teaser pages that were released, um, him punching holes in the bottom of the boats very gleefully, I might add. And I know, yeah. I know a lot of people had a little bit of trouble with that because they were like, why would he, you know, just be so malicious to just sort of kill all these poor humans that, you know, they're not warriors and everything. Um, but then, of course, in the full issue, when we see the next page, we learn that the wave dancers actually step up and they actually rescue the humans. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was kind of a nice touch uh, and very much in the spirit of what Wendy and Richard are, are, I think, trying to project with ElfQuest, like to rise above violence wherever possible and um, and just, just sort of operate from that place of, of doing, you know, as much good and light as you can. Uh, mm-hmm. And 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 p- portraying the elves kind of in this idealized way. So in other words, you know, the humans might still be out there killing everybody, but you know, the elves are at least making this effort. And I think that's kind of, you know, we're supposed to be trying to relate to the elves as readers. Right. Exactly. So. So they yeah. go and they rescue them, and you know, they don't like it. Not all of them, anyway. You know, I'm not sure which elf it is. It might be Krush. Um, who or Darshek maybe uh, who's dragging the poor human through the water um, backwards and 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 you know Krill gets shot out and she like knocks the humans out of the boat. She's like, no child, you're not going to shoot at me, you know. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> you know, presumably they you know they drag all or most of them to safety. And I actually I think what is the line here? Um, as they drag as many of them as possible to the shore. So that would suggest that they didn't get them all, which is realistic, right. which I kind of like like. They save them, yeah. but they maybe some of them still drown. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that was just kind of neat. It says, you know, because they can kill, but just now they choose not to. Um, mm-hmm. Again, just seems – it's one of those sort of makes my heart happy kind of moments, and it's very ElfQuesty to me in an intangible yeah. kind of way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because otherwise in any other comic, they would have just – killed them all right yeah right it would have just been a throwaway yeah yeah i gotta question the the long-term effects of this though because now we've got more of these hostile humans uh on icehold well no i right no they're they're on they're still on jonesland the wave this is jonesland yeah the wave dancers are, are on jonesland Okay, right. Yep. Right, and so, so this is so they brought them back to shore on Jun- Junsland. Exactly. Yeah. So they basically prevented them from crossing the vast deep water to replenish the supplies of the the war men who were over on Icehold, tracking right. down okay. Father Treehold. Okay. For some reason, I was thinking the wave dancers at this point were closer to Icehold, but no, they're not. Yeah, they're all the way across the ocean. 
Yeah. Which okay. is why um, salt and spray had to be shaped to have fishtails. Oh, yeah, right. So that they could, you know, make it all the way across the ocean. And, and, <clears throat> um, and then, well, actually, uh, Skimback and Corifei and Reef all went as well. And they didn't have fishtails for, but presumably they all helped everybody swim fast to get all the way over before they let the uh, the elders salt and spray continue on their way with legs before the other three went back across the ocean. Yes. So, um, mm-hmm. all right. So the last thing on the wave dancers that I wanted to touch on was this neat little scene in that group scene there where um, Puffer you know, says to, to Reef, like, you should always be in your strong monster form. And Reef, you know, sweet thing that he is, you know, just says, but that's not all I am. That's a piece of him. That's an aspect of him. But, you know, he's, he doesn't choose to just be the, that, again, sort of monstrous protector. He's also his, you know, sort of sweet, endearing, huggable Reef. Placid self. Yeah. Right. Did you notice that Puffer has yes. Uh, spines? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I was going to say, is that, um, you know, I, get, I think it was actually in that scene when uh, Skimback was parting with the the salt and spray and one of them says you know i think puffer puffer has asked for poison spines one of them says says that oh yeah 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 and so now yeah and so now we see it so that's kind of mm-hmm. and um, and i guess yeah, actually cool. there is the bigger thing in this in this panel between what snakeskin is saying and um you know just this this idea that well, going back to answering the question of like why the elves would stay and what their purpose is going to be once the palace leaves, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we, we kind of, we kind of get the answer here. Like the wave dancers are finding a new purpose in being kind of the protectors of the sea. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think that's kind of neat, you know, like they're not just going to, they're not just sort of lollygagging out there in the ocean. They're actually, you know, they, they've taken on a mission and a purpose and, um, and I could see that being a motivator for them, you know, again, wanting to stay, keep the oceans that they love, that they are part of, safe from exploitation by, by you know, again, presumably humans. Exactly. And as far as we know, it still holds that when an immortal elf dies, its spirit is going to travel to wherever the palace is, right? Well, yeah. Um, right. And I think that... So in this case... You know, knowing all we know now about elf spirits and what happens to them after their physical body dies, then it's not so such a bad thing to stay uh, on the world of two moons because you know that if you die, well, you're going to return to the palace regardless to where all the other elves are in the star home, yeah, I, wherever they happen to be. That that's my that would be my guess too. That the, that the physical distance of the physical palace is going to be meaningless to a spirit so that if an elf still dies in the world of two moons, that it will be no big deal for them to actually, you know, go exist there or, or however you want to phrase it. So, yeah, I think that makes sense. And, um, I think, I think that's an important thing to think about too. You're right in the decision because in death, they'll still be able to reunite with the palace. Right. So they're not. It's not as much of a. I don't want to say it's not much of a as a, a, a risk, because it is to choose to stay. Um, they might lose their life. They might lose the enhanced abilities that the palace gave them. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and that's something that I'm curious about to see how that will play out if we get to see any mm. of that now that the palace actually has left. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Um, or if the, those 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 strengths and those enhancements will sort of be permanent and they just won't advance further now that the palace is gone. Huh. Yeah, that never occurred to me. But you're right. If with the palace gone, what will happen to their powers? Right. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, but the other thing too is, okay, the elf spirits on the world of two moons, immortal spirits go to the palace. They're, they're drawn towards the palace or the, the aura. Right. They the exist within the aura of the palace, which, which we know from final quest, you know, sort of, a, sort of a great sphere around the palace that extends out, you know, as far as the moon. So it's pretty big. And my interpretation of that is that it's been growing ever since the palace kind of woke up after it fell asleep underneath the glacier for 10,000 years or however long. Yep. Um, and so that maybe way back in the beginning, they were confined, you know, right to the physical walls. But at this point in the story, they, that aura has grown as the elves have replenished the power of the palace. And as it itself has woken up and replenished them and yeah, this is kind of two way street and everything. So, um, but with the palace gone now off the world of two moons, including its aura, would the spirits still be drawn to it? Right. So I've thought about this a little bit too, and and I'm definitely going to put this in the category of how many angels can you fit on a pinhead kind of speculation that yeah. I'm guessing we're probably not going to get any kind of very clear specific answer to, at least not within Final Quest, but I don't know, maybe we will. My thought is this, is that the whole bit about being drawn to the palace is is a side effect of whatever is the magic dampening aspect of the world of two moons and that once the palace leaves that that will sort of be lifted and and you know the elf spirits can exist within the palace or go to the star home or go wherever they would want to go that makes a lot of sense actually because then i was thinking well okay the palace is a piece of the star home right, right. it's made from the star home so if the spirits are drawn to the palace why wouldn't they be drawn directly to the star home well what did crim say when she died yeah she exactly. says something like it's like, going back there's more to it more than just going to the palace and that is what, yeah, yeah. where my mind has gone to and i think we've talked about this this exact thing too in other contexts that what does that mean and so yeah so i don't know i mean who who really knows right <laughs> um but to me yeah. it does make a certain a certain logic and sense that um that this idea that the, the elf spirits, the immortal spirits are tied to the palace in some way, shape or form, um, that if the palace leaves the world of two moons, that maybe, again, that was just sort of an artifact of the negative impact that the world of two moons has on mm -hmm. the magicness of the elves and that um, and that it, that really won't be much of an issue. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. So. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's hmm. kind of, yeah, it's, it's a lot to wrap your brain around. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, all right. So, so let's see, where are we? Uh, we've talked about the wave dancers and we've talked about Burl's choice and the trolls returning to the palace and the high winds halt stuff. We haven't even really gotten to like the heavy duty stuff yet. So yeah, um, we got to get to that. Yeah. Well, let's just talk about um, Lita uh, becoming the new mother of memory. 
Yeah. So this is something that I, you know, I didn't really see coming, but it kind of launches. Completely makes sense, though. Totally, right? Yeah. It, it, yeah. Well, what, it, what this scene with Lita kind of accepting the mantle of Mother of Memory from Saba, since Saba's mm-hmm. leaving, kind of kicks off this this kind of montage of pages of of you know again sort of a little bit of a ceremony of handing handing offs if you will so Sava uh gives the mantle of mother memory to Lita symbolically in, her, in the sun symbol ne- uh sort of I don't know what what would you call that uh a headpiece yeah, thing headpiece. yeah yeah <laughs> it's like a forehead necklace um right yeah. foreheadless um <laughs> no that doesn't sound right either but Four, uh, yeah but anyway she gives her the sun yeah. symbol that hangs on her forehead and what's i think kind of sweet about that scene is that um if you look in the background you see the sun toucher you see tura and you see cutter kind of silently looking on kind of proud of lita which and again another little sweet detail that Wendy and Richard worked in there, which again just makes everything really huggable there. And yeah. um, you know, we get this nice little interaction between Audrey, who served as Sava's handmaiden for centuries, and uh, we learn that Audrey has chosen not to go in the palace. Yeah, that was. Uh... She, she doesn't. They don't outright say it, but there's no other way you can interpret that. If this is the last time that Audrey is going to serve as Sava's handmaiden by taking off the the sun piece for her and then she references that she and two edge are, are really having you know having a great go at it um kicking off a new relationship i mean you can only presume that they're not going right yeah that's exactly what i got from that yeah um yeah so that's uh that's also very surprising because i w- would have expected audrey to be leaving uh with sava um, but I guess things are going so well with two edge that, uh, that's not going to happen. Which, you know, I, I, you know, it's kind of like young love. Sometimes you do foolish things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, hopefully that doesn't end up backfiring. You know, when, when two edge right. has one of his mental breakdowns or some new tantrum. Yeah. No, but, yeah. Like knowing what two edge is like. Yeah. You know? Well, but I, you know, I, again, I think this is a, a ultimately, and, and talking seriously about it, like, I think it's a warm fuzzy, another one. You know, Audrey pr- was on the trajectory to leave for the palace. I mean, we already saw that she was living in the palace. She was wearing, you know, the flowy palace garb. She had even – she even knows how to shape herself into a high one shape. Uh, right. And so the fact that by connecting with someone and having a relationship stick, which it obviously didn't with with uh, with, with Winkin. Winkin. Mm-hmm. It's kind of nice, you know. I'm kind of happy for her, and I wish him the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I feel like she's gonna need it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is pretty cool, though, that Lita becomes the uh, new mother of memory. Um, Sava obviously is leaving, so she doesn't need to be the mother of memory for the elves on the world of two moons anymore. And it just seems like it's a natural. Uh, progression that I didn't really see coming, right. but now now makes complete sense that Lita would take on that role. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, and this is uh, not too long ago. Uh, Wendy posted an image of Lita, and she um, she uh, blurred out her 
her face right. and her head. Yeah, and said, like, I can't show you because it would be a, um, a spoiler. Now we know why. And so this is exactly <laughs> why. Yeah, and everyone was trying to figure it out, you know, like, well, what could it be? Uh, but yeah, it makes complete sense. So it was that the headpiece. Right. Um, she's not in the uh, costume that Wendy designed, though, which was kind of cool, like the fall colors and stuff. So I'm wondering if we're going to see that in I'm sure we will. the next issue, or is that? Yeah. yeah, I'm sure we will, because this issue leaves off again at the very end of summer, at the very beginning of fall. So I'm right. sure we're going to see that outfit that Wendy teased. Mm-hmm. Um, which was a very Wolf Rider-y fall outfit. The outfit that she has on here is is worth noting because it's a little bit Wolf Rider and it's a little bit Sun Villager, and it is is definitely an homage to Sava's sort of spring green gown, the flowy gown, um, and and the Sun Villager style belt, um, but with some looks like you know sort of the the, the turquoise aqua uh, teal kind of leather leafy pattern also woven in so a little bit of both of her worlds. so i think that that was mm-hmm. kind of a nice touch and much, um yeah my favorite i think piece of art in this whole panel is on this page and again we're on the page where saba bequeaths the mother of memory status to, to lita it's page 11 uh, the very last panel where we see well we learn that pedal wing is actually going to stay to help take care of of Lita and Cutter and everybody else while all the other preservers are going to leave with the palace. And um, I just love Lita in that picture in particular, but Cutter too. Um, They're just, they're beautiful and they're happy and it's just, I I just love it. Yeah. It's funny. You just mentioned that about the preservers. I must've just sort of passed over that quickly without it really settling in. But um, yeah, no, I just, I'm seeing that now. Yeah. yeah. So they're all the preservers are leaving except for Pedal. Yeah. And Cutter is like, lucky, lucky yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So God love the preservers. Um, so anyway. So speaking of, yeah, of headpieces on our next page, we finally get to see um, Skywise get his new uh, headpiece with the star on it. And actually I was going to, I meant to um, bring that up in our last podcast uh that didn't record properly but uh i was gonna say you know we kept seeing these images of of skywise with the star on his headpiece when are we actually gonna see it and then sure enough in this issue we do uh a little different though because it's actually made out of crystal the the crystal of the the palace which is different from what it was depicted as previously in these um uh, like preview images. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Put out. yeah. Yeah. The reality of how it made itself into the story is a little bit different than what yeah, teaser yeah. art uh, showed us, but but uh, but right. I think you know makes some sense and and it gives gives us another chance to see Haro team um, delivering the you know presumably he shaped it um, the headpiece to Timane so that she can pass it off to 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 Skywise as you know kind of an honorific you know you're going to be the 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 guide of the palace now and so we're going to give you this you know, symbol of, of your, uh, your, your, you know, your kind of important status here. And he, of course, then passes off his old metal, his bright metal headpiece and sword to Yun, which I thought was really mm-hmm. sweet. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, it's kind of a handing off of, of roles and mementos, Saba to, to Lita and Skywise to Yun. And it's just, yeah, it's pretty, it's kind of sweet and, feels right to me yeah absolutely uh i wonder if yun is gonna wear that headpiece now that skywise is giving she's gotta she's gotta i think so yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty, um, well, I was going to say uh, incredible, but I guess maybe that's not the right term. But it's just, it's nice to see how much their relationship has progressed and evolved. Uh, they've become very close. Yeah. Yun and Skywise. And I mean, just by virtue of him training her with the pod too, I think brought them closer together. But they really seem to now have a, uh, a really strong um, familial bond with each other. Like it's very much you know, the father and daughter relationship that really wasn't there before. It took so many years for them to get to this point, but now it's, it's clearly there. Yeah. And again, most of it has often happened off camera. Uh, you know, we haven't seen too much of them and what we have seen no. has been them kind of referencing that they've developed this relationship, but that's okay. Yeah. I, well, I feel like the snippets that we have seen have been enough to sort of um, communicate that to the reader that, you know, this relationship has been, getting stronger between the two of them um it's interesting to note too that he hands her his sword uh so this is skywise handing his sword to his daughter uh and then that makes me wonder if cutter is ever going to still give new moon to ember because that was always set up from the very beginning right, right. that um that new moon would be passed on to ember um but here in in this page at least we see uh, it's Skywise handing his sword off to his daughter. So I just, you know, it, it just made me think of that. Like, I wonder if that's still going to happen between Cutter and Ember at some point. Right. Well, I mean, mm -hmm. presumably Cutter would have to die. And also, yeah. also, um, you know, Ember has her own sword now. And so she that original... But it's no new moon. But it's no new moon. <laughs> don't, don't tell Tree Stump that. <laughs> yeah, well, there's no key in that palm also. As far as we know... <laughs> yeah. Again, two more issues, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, speaking of New Moon, this scene culminates in Tamane calling on Cutter to, you know, basically invoking the the you know the stabbing of the palm so that blood drips out, the blood of ten chiefs, and Tamane basically takes in the Wolf Rider's mortality, and mm -hmm. you know this gift that she gave to her her son and and his children, the Wolf Riders, she is now taking this this element of the World of Two Moons, this mortality, and is going to kind of keep it in her and be able to share it with any other immortal elves who choose the opposite direction. You know, and unlike, you know, Moonshade um, or Skywise, who chose to become immortal, we now find out that, you know, for, for, for endless eternity, Tamayne is going to be able to give that gift that she created through, you know, through her action of turning into a wolf and becoming part of the world of two moons, which I didn't see coming either. But I think it makes it, it's on that the sort of very big scale, the cosmic scale. I, you know, I think it, 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 it's interesting. I think there's some sense there. Yeah, I found this was a really, um, really interesting series of, of panels here and, and, uh, just as far as like the story that this occurred um i didn't see it coming either but it just really makes a lot of sense and uh it really works with the whole like you say the cosmic kind of idea of like cycles and circles beginnings mm -hmm. and, and you know mortality and immortality and it's like everything kind of coming full circle yeah in a way yeah, yeah. and it's just really cool that it's like cutter is giving his gift of mortality to 
to Maine, who's going to keep it within her so that she can then give it to others right. if they want to experience it. You yeah. Know, it's just a, a whole interesting concept and um, just the, the um, yeah, the concepts that are being played with here just within these few panels is really a lot to think about yeah. and sort of – yeah. It does feel I like I like the term um, or the idea of like you know just sort of a circle like it feels like the closing of a loop somehow. It does, yeah, it does. In kind of a satisfying yeah, way, yeah. and you know, again, I don't think that this is meant for us to overanalyze and wonder like what molecule is she bringing into her body and is she going to now be mortal? <laughs> I, you know, I think like I think we just need to take this on the spiritual level, at, you know, the big picture meta. You know, Tamein is going to be able to deliver mortality to those elves who choose it in the future, um, which again yeah. just seems like a nice, again, a circle. So. Yeah, and then you think she did offer the gift of mortality to her children like 20,000 years ago in a different way, right? And now her children are giving it back to her. Exactly, so yeah. She can then give it again. It's like yeah. a repeating cycle almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. almost like the infinity symbol, you know? Like if you start yeah. on the left with Tamein giving her offspring, giving her children mortality – through the shape changing and the mating with wolves and then it goes you know down and then it circles back on itself and now cutter is giving it back to her in a different form right. so that she yeah. could give it you know again if yeah to whoever wants it yeah yeah it is it's a really like intriguing idea yeah. behind that yeah uh, one thing it did sort of spark in me is the thought that okay well if that can happen why couldn't that gift of mortality be given to any of the immortals now, right? Like she can, so could Lita, if Lita wanted to be yeah. a wolf rider, could she, could they do the same thing now? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, think that's what she's saying, that any yeah. immortal elf can take this gift of mortality. Right. Now, now I, what I don't think that means is that that's going to turn them into a wolf rider. I don't think that suddenly they're going to, you know, grow sharp teeth and be able to see and scent in the dark and want to run around eating raw meat. I think it's just yeah. the more mortality note. Right. Okay. That's what I think. Hmm. Um, I think it would but be kind I of wonder, weird. You know, if, if what, like a high one became a wolf, right? Yeah. Kind yeah. Of? Yeah. Yeah. Like all of a sudden they'd want to ride like some space wolf or something <laughs> that they found some... Yeah. Right, yeah. exactly. I mean, that uh, sounds pretty rad, and I would totally yeah. be into that if they did that. But... <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the next series. That's yeah, ElfQuest, uh, rad but... space wolves. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm so down to read it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, okay, so then I'm wondering if, and here's me speculating, but uh, I wonder if something like that's going to happen with Lita. I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, like before the end, if she chooses. Yeah. Although what, I feel like that would yeah. be a little bit counter to her accepting being the mother of memory. Because if she chooses mortality, yeah. mm -hmm. then she ain't going to be around forever to remember stuff. So like, doesn't it make being the mother of memory a little right. bit meaningless or less meaningful? Well, Maybe not. it would if she didn't have a prodigy. Or a um, uh, somebody to pass it on to. And who would that be? 
maybe her new child. Oh. Hmm. Well, that kid isn't even born yet, so they've got a, a long ways to go before they can earn the title of mother or father of memory, but... <laughs> right. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Again, I don't know that we'll that we'll see any of that in Final Quest, but who knows? Know. Who knows? Again, two more issues. Um, so speaking of which, next we go to Venka giving birth to her daughter. We see her asking Dreon to help sing the baby into life, and Dreon's just awesome with his big bare feet and just kind of stoic, yeah. you know, kind of hanging out in the palace and, and uh, not talking. Not talking. Just- Right. Mm-hmm. And um, this is where we get Maggie's genius line to to Shen Shen that she's too ugly to talk to now. <laughs> yeah, no, this is the Maggie that I know. And totally, love. totally, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and then we see none of this crying stuff. Exactly. Ooh, who, who? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but then we see um, a really neat nod back to Blue Mountain in the next panel where. I was just gonna mention that. It, yeah, where Venka is. It's so funny how we we both notice things like this. But yeah, yeah it's the fountain. Totally. Yeah, it's that yeah. that triple layer fountain that was in Blue Mountain when the Wolf Riders, um, you know, sort of were first released from being slaves of the Gliders, and they go to they get brought to this little grotto where they can relax and you know and and um and so they've kind of reshaped that in the Palace mm-hmm. of High Ones, which is really neat. And it's also the first yeah. time we see anything other than just like crystal. Right, we see flowing water, we see flowers inside the palace. Right, yeah. which is kind of Living yeah, things. kind of neat. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Brill's there helping Shen Shen, um, kind of help deliver the baby. We see Venka's still nameless love mate helping with the birth, which I think is awesome. Again, this is the go back with the with the aquila nose that I love so much. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And um, and then the kid's born. It's got brown skin and blonde hair and. That leads us to who the, who's the daddy, and it's it's obviously mm-hmm. it's it's Murph, and the they basically say as much, you know, the yeah. female go back. She's you know Murph is like, oh, how to be Sunstream, <laughs> and she's I like, Murph. yeah, me too. She's like, I don't think he's so. Awesome. It's definitely yeah. yours. So um, he's like, yeah, oh, then it's definitely yeah. Sunstream. Yeah. Now this is something that um, came up in in the discussion in the Facebook spoiler thread. And some folks, you know, didn't pick up on that because they didn't literally say Murph is the father and mm-hmm. thought th- like th- that ambiguity. And then Venk is saying that Satrika is the child's name and that she's the child of four tribes. Yeah. And I, and I did this too when I first read it. I took that literally. So then I was trying to mm-hmm. like think of like, you know, again, the genealogy way of thinking of like, well, who's the father and whose blood is this and whose blood is that? It's come it's become obvious through the conversation that's happened on social media. And again, I recommend everybody check out the ElfQuest Facebook fan group and check this thread out. Um is is that I think that's just figurative. You know, Venka herself was really the product, both genetically but culturally, of influences from all of those those tribal elements and i think that's yeah. what she's saying with Satrika, what about satrika when she said you're the yeah a child of four tribes some villager wolf rider glider and go back um so it doesn't mean that say that you know several fans have the theory that winkin was actually the father um to okay. the glider blood in there but wendy has confirmed that murph is the father so i think that right. o- yeah. only mean that we you know that satrika is is that just meant to be like figurative? Yeah, yeah. 
She left out the wave dancers, though. If it was figurative, why couldn't she include well, because... too? Why does she? Why does Venka hate the wave dancers? Why? <laughs> well, because again, the, the the wave dancers had nothing to do with her upbringing, and that is what I think she's yeah. saying. Like, you know, the gliders didn't really either, other than the fact that that then that her father was a gliding elf. Um, yeah, and you know, Tildeck too. I mean, Tildeck. She she did spend the first twenty years of her life living with Kavi and Tildak and Aurori. Well, Aurori, yeah, I was gonna say Aurori was around for a lot of her childhood. I think probably more so than Tildak would have. Right. Been. Yeah. I mean, he was there, but I can't see him being that involved with like playing with kids sure, or something. Sure. Sure. You know? Whereas Aurori would have been. Aurori seemed much more um, a part of the tribe than Tildak. Right, but I'm talking about. Well, yeah, uh, I I think definitely. Well, so. For, if you if you think back to Kings of the Broken Wheel, and I'm just yeah. this is just dawning on me right now, um, you know, Kavi invites Tildak to kind of live with her and and, and Rory to live with her in the caves because she's like I'm not living yeah. in a tree, I'm not raising Venka in a tree. So presumably, from that point up until the time that Kavi and Tildak left, the four of them lived a little bit separate in the halt in the cave. And so that does add a little bit more weight to the glider element in uh, yeah, yeah. you know, for mm-hmm. the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, 20 or 30 years, however long Kavi stayed there, you could go back to Kings of the Broken Reel and count the slashes on the tree. I'm not going to do that right now, but, um, mm-hmm. but you get my point. And then after that, yeah, you will though. I know you will. Well, I'm not, <laughs> not right not now, right now but, but duh. you will do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I think, I think the mystery is, is pretty much, there is no mystery. Murph is the father. Venka was talking figuratively when she said that Satrika was sort of a child of all the tribes. But the um, her name is interesting in that it, it definitely pulls from other elves from all of the tribes. So Sa as in Saba, Tree as in Tree Stump, Re as in many of the gliders have Re in their name, Aurori, yep. um, and then Kareel. Right. And then Ka as in Kavi. So all mm-hmm. four of those tribes are kind of represented in her name, which is also kind of neat. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, speaking of names, children's names, uh, way back at the very beginning, Wendy and Richard mentioned that they would tell us the story of Korafe's name at some point, and I'm still hoping yes. that maybe after the this story is over, we'll finally get the the story behind the name of Korafe. Yeah, I forgot about but, that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, another thing, too, we were speculating... Uh, a few episodes ago about the um the paternity of Venka's child and at one point we were thinking that oh maybe we're just never gonna know right and uh it's just gonna be one of those situations where it's like it doesn't matter it's probably some go back but it, it doesn't matter um so it's it's interesting now that we actually are getting confirmation that yeah it's it's Murph right. he is the uh he is the baby dad. I don't know how much it's going to uh, matter, mm-hmm. but yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, again, yeah. given well, given that Murph is staying on the World of Two Moons, because I think all the go-backs stayed, um, and Venka and Satrika are leaving, and also just sort of the culture of the go-backs where um, they don't really have mommy, daddy, and baby. You know, they sort of collectively raise their children. The, the, the mothers probably seem to have a little bit more of a connection to the babies than the fathers do. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, I don't think it really matters, yeah. but... It is revealed that Murph is the daddy. 
Yeah, it, exactly. Um, and that just might be a, um, a product of their lifestyles changing too, to some extent by living within the palace that, you know, where it wouldn't have mattered so much in the frozen mountains. Well, now that they're living in the palace and, and living that lifestyle, maybe it's just easier to know who the father is now or something, you know, or they're just, their culture is changing a little bit more that that's right. something that they're more aware right. of. Um, but also on top of this, so this was not recognition. This is a, um, a product of, uh, the Citrica is the product of non recognized. Yeah. Uh, Dobek fecundity. They can do it and exactly. get pregnant without recognition. Yeah. yeah. And Venka can. Yeah. Well, too, I mean, right. She is because she's half Dobek. Right. So yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, that's another interesting thing to note there yep. too. Um, now you got to wonder if this baby's ever going to is going to have magical abilities. Obviously we have no um hint of that at this point. I don't know if we're going to find that out in the next two issues or not, but yeah. I imagine she might. Well, again, but, I mean uh, if she's we will see. If the whole premise is that the world of two moons suppresses the magic of the elves in the palace and Satrika was born you know, and we know that in in the palace, you know, is the peak of the powers. If Satrika was born in the palace, and the palace leaves the world of two moons, I have no doubt that she'll be just as magically inclined as any of the other elves at this point. 